Hello, strangers. Welcome back to Galley Proof. I'm Allie. And I'm Grace. And uh, this is a podcast where we ramble for too long about books we either love or hate or feel mediocre about. Uh, if It Bleeds, it's the newest release by Stephen King. Um, the most notable story in it is a follow-up to his popular book series, or his popular book, The Outsider. I'm sure a lot of you have watched the HBO series as well. I have not yet. Um, Neither have I. Yeah, let's kick things off. I, I gotta I gotta admit something to you all first, because I did not finish the book, which I'm sure um, says something about my enjoyment of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I also have not finished the book, but for very different reasons, because I know you don't like the book, and I'm pretty certain I'm going to end up, it's going to be one of those usual things where, <laughs> where like, we have different opinions on this. Like, I liked it and did not love it and I just literally run out of time so I'm halfway through the final story and I want to finish it but I'm gonna have to do so after this <laughs> but yeah no I really disliked it uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh I was bored stiff for one I don't know if I just don't his writing style doesn't suit me or or whatever um I also found a lot of the stuff he wrote politically incorrect a lot of a lot of his writing is just like I was seeing like either childish like terminology an attempt to inhabit the mind of a character that he very obviously doesn't understand uh, like very clunky characterization like it, it comes back to that character stuff as it always does with me like the characters all felt like cardboard to me and not only were they, did they not feel like real people, uh, but they also felt, I didn't like any of his protagonists or his, like, narrators. Um, and I don't know if, it was one of those books where I just felt his narrative voice and it wasn't in the good way. Like, I was so palpably aware that it was Stephen King writing the whole time. I couldn't get immersed into the story because I was like, well, Stephen King, you know, this is a Stephen King insert or this is Stephen King's thoughts or this is a person that Stephen King imagined. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't know why. I don't, it's just very bizarre. I mean, I know I have reasons. I, I got like, I would say I got a good third into If It Bleeds um, the third story, and then I finished the first two, and it's not that I think his premises are, like, well, the first, the first story, I think, was weak as shit, like, I Uh, think- The first story was pointless. Okay, so I'm, I can't proclaim I'm a fan of Stephen King's, I've not read, I've read one Stephen King book all the way through, and it was another collection of stories, it's the, um, Just After Sunset collection, and I love that collection of stories, I think, I think for me, like, I half agree with everything that you said. Like, I agree with it. I just didn't have the same reaction to it. If you know, if that makes sense. I don't know, like, so. Yeah. So, like, I understand what you're, what you're saying when you say about his writing style and how you're reminded that it's King and his, like, characters being a bit, like, cardboard. But I don't describe, I wouldn't describe it in the same way for me and how I responded to that. So, for me, like, King's writing for the limited amount that I've seen, has always fascinated me a little bit. Because I think he's a... I, I do... I like his writing style, in general. I think his writing style is where he shines. I think the fact that he takes the time to add in, like, extra information and asides as the character's thinking about stuff, like, there's a way in which he writes that makes me feel like I'm actually witnessing thinking, and, like, humans like thought in a way um doesn't mean I always agree with what those thoughts are and stuff but just on the pure style like I really like the way that Stephen King paints a picture and adds all the little details and I think that's because he's a horror writer obviously I think he's very good at adding in details to immerse you in a scene um to prepare you for that scene to be disturbed if that makes sense like I think he's just he can't stop trying to build tension 
in a way. Um, and so that fascinates me. I, I like it. My biggest issue with this collection was that I think the actual plots were lacking. Like that was my biggest issue because I also didn't think that the characters were super like well-rounded and I'm not like loving them and gushing over them the way I would in like an amazing fantasy that we'd love, you know, like I don't think they're super emotive or emotional characters, which I think for you is a big thing. And for me, it sucks Mm. too. Like I a hundred percent, I a hundred percent prefer a more emotional character arc. Um, but I can appreciate that there's something very realistic in a very different way. Cause obviously emotional is still realistic. People are emotional beings, but like there's something like realistic and logical and that fits the genre for me about the way the characters just go through the motions, the way they think things and the way they like your sort of it. it I, and when you said like, you're reminded that Stephen King's very much telling the story and this is him and all of this stuff. I feel the same way. Like I completely get that. It's just for me, that feels like Stephen King is telling me a story. Like not like he's, there's just nothing to the story. It's just Stephen King talking. It's that Stephen King is like telling me a story in the way that people would verbally do so. That isn't like maybe super emotive or like, to you know what I mean? I don't know. But like, it feels like I'm sat round a campfire and Stephen King is just telling me a story in the way that your your dad might and he's not particularly great at doing so but you're still enthralled you know what I mean I don't know like there's a there's a colloquial nature I think to to Stephen King's writing and I think that's what draws people to it a lot of the time it also like I think it very much it exists within its genre constraints um and and with a lot of his stories I mean they're so iconic and they're so classic because there's a campiness to them and I think I think they're they're iconic because of that campiness because of it's it's horror but it's not like oh it's too real it's horror Mm. in the way that I think it's you know you're aware of the farce and the the facade of it uh, in a way I think that's people's draw to his writing I just I I guess it just really didn't it wasn't working for me for whatever reason if we're gonna I think we should probably take this like story by story except for the last one because I haven't read it I've read half obviously (laughs) so sorry I think it was called rats rats isn't sorry we're probably just gonna dismiss it you know what you know what really bugs me about I feel like we've let everybody down and let ourselves down what bugs me about the fact that we haven't finished rats is because you haven't read any of it so you you know I've read half of it I'm really enjoying it it's the one I've enjoyed the most as a whole because there's been bits of other ones I thought that's really good but um it there's like it's the one that I've been enjoying the most because it's I don't know. I just think it's interesting, but I, I don't even know what the twist is yet. And I don't even know why it's called rats. Cause I haven't gotten there. So I can't comment on it properly, which is really frustrating, but um, I'm enjoying it. So there's that. <laughs> well, maybe um, Grace might uh, drop back in on social media when she finishes it and, yeah. and give you uh, a long awaited her... rats re- like review. <laughs> yeah. Her, her sort of finishing thoughts on, um, on the final story. I I mean, If It Bleeds is the title story, and you would assume that it is the story that's meant to to really draw you in. Um, and, it, you know, it's about a response to tragic events, and, you know, there's the, the implication that the villain, this, like, shape-shifting villain and that's in The Outsider is also in this story, but, it, you know, there's more than one, and... See, so we've not read Outsider, so I didn't, I, and I forgot that If It Bleeds was the sequel to that book because I'd not read it. So as I was reading it, I was reading it as a standalone short story. So, I think it can work that way. Yeah, 100% it can. Um, but, um, so I'd not read the other one, I forgot about that. Um, which makes this more interesting and might shine a light onto how I might feel about Outsider if I read it. Um, but it disappointed me massively plot-wise. It's a shapeshifter, shapeshifting thing, vampire that feeds on pain and things like that or whatever. And I mean, it's whatever, fine. Um, it wasn't very scary, I don't think, in general. I, like, I don't, I wasn't, 
um, it didn't like as a horror short story it didn't give me any i mean obviously short stories they don't have to like completely scare the crap out of you but if i think about stories and just after sunset a lot more of those short stories of his unnerved me and this one i was just sort of like well okay cool whatever she's obviously she's obviously met one of these creatures before and there's another one and it's done horrible things and killed children and all of that stuff and she's trying to put an end to it and kill it um and eventually she does spoilers um and when she goes down to like she throws him down an elevator shaft or whatever and she goes down to collect the clothes because she knows that when they die they disappear because it's not them it's like and, and it says something about her looking for a red bug like it says like there's no body there's just the clothes and she's looking around to see the red bugs or the red bug that is the parasite thing that makes turns these humans into these shape-shifting like so essentially it's a bug from my like understanding of this short story the implication was that it's this like little insect creature that infects people and has a host and stuff um now that bugged me because Stephen King's other book or story or whatever that I haven't read but watched the movie of, Dreamcatcher, is very similar. Uh, it's Dreamcatcher is like, I think it's about aliens and that, but there are these little red worms things in the forest or whatever. It contaminate people and use them as hosts and kill them eventually. And it's not the same thing. It's not like turning them into shapeshifters and making them like pain vampires. But it was too close. To me, it felt like I could be wrong. I haven't read The Outsider, so I don't want to presume anything about the story as a whole. And that I wasn't given enough information. But from my minute reaction to this small short story and this glimpse into it, it felt like like a bit of a cop out. Like he's taken that idea he's already used and reapplied it somewhere else well what i will say is like like you said plot wise they all fell a bit flat like the the premise sort of approached something but then like none of his concepts were original to me or exciting like the genre i don't know if this is classified as horror or thriller or mystery or what have you but but when you hear Stephen King, you think horror writer. You think, um, you know, these books will be chilling. They'll be scary. They'll make me feel uneasy. Um, I didn't feel any of those things. Maybe I'm just very numb to horror at this point. Um, I haven't done a lot of reading of horror, but... But even if it was selling itself as a thriller, I wasn't, like, intrigued or excited to turn the page. It was like, mm. it was like, okay, when are they going, when are you going to tell me what, what the catch is? Like, when are you going to, I was just, like, waiting for, to, like, have the, like, conclusion, but not because I was like, I want to know, like, what's going on. It was like, all right, so what's he doing here? <laughs> yeah like the, what's he going for if we like if we look at the first story in this book mr harrigan's phone yeah that one that's the shortest one and it felt like it shouldn't have been there like it felt it unfinished felt, and it pointless. felt ages long it felt so long I don't think this is the issue I have with this book is that it feels like it's full of so much potential. Like I personally liked the writing. I didn't hate that. I felt potential in it. Like Stephen King has proven over and over again in the past that he can make you feel like tense and scared. And at one point in this book, I did not in this story in another one, but like, so I, so there was that moment of uneasiness that I felt that I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, what I was here for. The first story, it wasn't scary. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, I don't understand the point. What was, it felt like it was, so some, some old dude dies after the main character gives him a mobile phone at the turn of the technological age or whatever, as Apple and Amazon start taking off and first iPhones and all that stuff. And the dead guy has the phone in his grave 
and the main character calls him when horrible things happen in his life and people are mean to him and those people end up dead and that happens like what two or three times in this span of this short story but you never really find out like it's never explored so it feels like you get you don't i understand that there is there are effective horror stories where you don't get given any answers and that works but in this case it didn't it was like okay well what's the point like is the commentary the the horror aspect the dead man killing people for this boy storyline didn't match up with whatever commentary in my head or that he seemed to be trying to make about technology like I didn't actually understand the message like what was the point I don't I didn't understand the message with any of them like I don't I'm like what I feel like he was trying to say something and he was trying to sound clever and make some sort of societal commentary in all three of these but the stories were so rough and unfinished and inconclusive that they just ended up saying nothing and and like even with the second story um I can't remember what it's called but it's like about the end of the world and it's all related to this like the life of this guy Chuck um in like three different snapshots like the very end of his life the sort of middle of his life and then like the event that sort of precedes the like end of the world which is like never the like eerie suddenness of it is never really explored it's just like a fact and the reasons behind why his like billboards are every turning up everywhere and like I thought the idea of him seeing his death before it actually happened was kind of interesting, but it was like half baked and yeah. that's how like most of this collection felt to me. It was very half baked. Yeah. It yeah, I I do agree. I think there were gl- that's why I said earlier is like it was full of potential. Like there were glimpses of hope in points of the narrative and they're never really built upon. Like like I said, like the first story with the dude, dead dude with the phone, feels like it wasn't un, it was unfinished. Like it felt like it, it needed to be longer to make the point that he was trying to make, whatever that was. And then with the second one, it was broken down into three parts, and they were ordered in like randomly or whatever. And the first part, which was about the end of the world, is the only part of this entire book that made me tense and uneasy because it's relevant. Because like before I realised what the twist was, which I kind of liked, actually. Um, the, the twist was that it, like the world was inside Chuck's head, and so it wasn't the real world ending. It was just a metaphor for what how much we lose when somebody dies. Um, oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> oh, so, like, when, it, when it's jumping to... Um, to Chuck dying in the hospital with his family around him or whatever and the son and the and that's why that's, that's why, why the, the billboards are turning yeah. up everywhere so, because it's all about it yeah. the world revolves around him sort of thing yeah. like the teacher in his life yeah so the billboards um for anyone who I don't know whatever spoilers, this thing's called spoilers but the, the billboards all have a picture of Chuck on that say thanks Chuck for a great 39 years or something like that because he's 39 and he's dying of a brain tumor or something um and yeah it as like you you go through it following this dude called marty in a very well written i think uh, like look at the end of the world and how and i think it was uneasy because it was like sort of shown as like climate change and like um california has collapsed into the pacific ocean and um there are sinkholes everywhere and today is when the internet and the electricity finally stops working and what will we do and and the main character's reaction and a lot of people around him is just whenever they hear the next terrible thing, oh, well, that sucks. Because it's like a commentary on how numb we get to bad news and how everything's terrible all the time. And I was like, bro, like, I feel that right now. Like, with everything that's going on, whenever you hear something terrible on the news now, it's kind of just like this numbed reaction of, oh, well, that sucks. Like, you, you get how big it is, but you run out of emotion to give it you know what I mean like you just Mm -hmm. so I thought that was very good and that's when I felt uneasy like that made me feel uneasy because I was like oh it feels imminent you know this feels like what we're walking into 
and then but then that's not relevant for the rest of the story no um because it but that first section is my favorite part of the book so far because it was the only part that made me think that and I and I would have liked it as a short story on its own I don't think the rest of Chuck's life needed to be be in this because it was like that as a short story on its own I thought was good and like then cut to Chuck in the real world in a hospital bed with his machine turning off and he's dying and that's what's happening. Um, and his son and his brother-in-law are chatting and that's like when his when his brother-in-law says something like, oh, someone I know once said that when someone dies, like, like our, our bodies are something are finite, but our brains are infinite. We have whole worlds in there is what he says to the sun to cut as when he's comforting him so that's when i was like oh they're dying and seeing billboards of chuck because those are the last words he hears from his brother-in-law like thanks chuck it's been a good 39 years or whatever um and then it's just it's the end of his world in his head and he's using that to show yeah i don't know i thought that was very good that's my favorite part of the entire collection that i've read so far and i thought that was really good and then it jumps to the dancing one it's just a glimpse of his middle-aged life right before he gets sick um, and his last... And, and, and I think at that point is where it gets hazy because obviously you think of Stephen King and you think horror. You think that's the point of what he does. Um, and it doesn't mean he can't write other stuff, but he's made a name for himself as, you know, the horror king. Um, so in Just After Sunset, the other collection I've read, there are stories that aren't outright horror their reflections on humanity and opinions and stuff but I think they were done more effectively than this one because it just felt I don't know it's just you jump from this really I think cool little idea about real world horrors and end of the world with this twist to a random story about the fact that he could have been a rock star I don't know or like the, or that he like we end up in monotonous jobs and that sucks like great like yeah well I, I think like for one like putting Mr. Harrigan's phone right at the beginning is just like was an instant it, it killed the book for me because mm-hmm. I was so bored throughout that entire story that the next story I wasn't really paying full attention because I was just trying to get through it at this at that point and then um and then I finally got to if it bleeds and and then like you you have this different stuff where he like he makes one of the like biggest white person writing people of color faux pas of all time by like trying to write the main character as like the cool white person and like Mm. also trying to like add some sort of racial commentary but it he ends up just sounding like he's trying way too hard and and then he but at the same time he describes a character's like or not a character but um a man on a tv show is having dark chocolate skin which is like one of the biggest one of the biggest like cringy things for people to do like you're you're really like at this point you're not supposed to like there's so many different ways to describe color and skin color why does it always have to be food and specifically chocolate it's just tired and like how many times do you see white people's skin being described as something edible milk doesn't happen (laughs) like i guess like sometimes you get like they're like milky white skin i'm I'm only i'm only joking i don't i'm not actually saying like uh it happens to us too like it's it doesn't i don't really see it it. just like it felt like it just felt so like middle-aged white man trying Mm. to be hip and happening and with the times you um you would you haven't read it and I haven't finished it but I feel like you would be annoyed at some of the dialogue between the main character in the final story and his wife and and also in okay so in if it bleeds in the same one you're like talking about now there's that weird bit where he's he's talking about their Christmas 
And it says, like, usually they're, like, an equal gender household. But at Christmas, the boys watch the basketball and the girls be in the kitchen. It's, like, this disclaimer. Like, I'm not sexist. This is just what they do at Christmas. It's the exception to the general. Like, And it was, like, a weird addition. It was, like, oh, just so you know, like, they're, they're equal and everything. But for the purpose of this moment, I'm going to have the women in the kitchen. And it was, like, fine. Like, it's not wrong for women to be in the kitchen just don't make it sound like they should be there let's like calm down (laughs) like this is a like this was a reoccurring thing for me too is like gender gender roles and sexuality in Stephen King's writing they also just come off so awkward like all of his female characters feel like even more caricature like than his male characters and his male characters all feel like reflections of him (laughs) and and through that like you sort of feel like you're getting an insight into his like internal monologue or some of his like experiences and then like all of all of these male characters end up kind of coming off as like a little just like a touch of incel you know just like a little (laughs) sprinkle a little sprinkle of like a little sprinkle of incel I just I don't know it's like there's a moment in the final book uh, sorry story um the main character is a writer and he's gone I don't know he's gone stay in a cabin in the woods um uh to write his book and his wife calls him a lot and like she's worried about him and he gets sick and there's a storm and she wants him to come home uh, fair enough, good for her. Um, but she, they have an argument on the phone about, like, he's really into this book and he's become obsessive about it. So even though he knows a storm is coming and he's on his own and he'll be disconnected from the world, he doesn't want to leave because he really wants to write this book and she wants him to come home because she cares about him and she wants her kids to have a father and all of this stuff. Um, so they're arguing about this. And then he says something like... Um, you know that blah 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 and then she goes yes thank you for mansplaining that to me you know when a man says you know that what they really mean is you think you do but you don't and I'm gonna tell you and all this stuff and I don't like entirely disagree with that sometimes like I don't think it's what's happening all the time um but like he makes a and then and then the main character says like his internal monologue is sort of like eye rolling and being like here we go again. And he says, like, you're bringing it back to this again. So the implication is they regularly have arguments about how she thinks that he's a bit sexist and talks down to her. And um, he thinks that she's a naggy feminist who brings everything back to, like, men are being sexist. And, like, he makes a, a, a thing about how, like, she can't stand it when I interrupt her because that's sexist, but she loves to interrupt me. And it was all this, it was this thing where it was like, that, of course, that happens. Like, of course, there are going to be scenarios like that because almost any scenario you can think of with people exists. Um, but it, it also just feels very pointed. Like, is this a commentary on? what feminists are is this like i like i don't know is this just oh women who have been who live in the real world where there is a patriarchal system like are they are they just like seeing issues everywhere rather than having a legit reason to be that way i don't know it just but it but it wasn't the end of the world it wasn't that bad but it was it made me roll my eyes and be like whatever move on because i don't want to read this bit anymore (laughs) Well, yeah, like, I'm sure I would have, I was already pissed off when I started to read, like, the, the vaguely, you know, white savior-y stuff. Not even white savior, but, like, the liberal that's trying, Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the liberal that's trying to be the, like, the good white person, um, oh, oh, in the part, in the part where he, like, literally has, um a black woman be like but you're not that white yeah like there's white people and then there's white people and it's like 
I'm I'm not saying that like that conversation has never happened. Like maybe he's writing that from experience. But, but you can't put that in your story as but, a white writer. You yeah, just don't say, have permission. Like, there's, there's a difference between hearing a person of color make that joke and like me like it being an actual part of their experience and a white person using that to validate their white character. <laughs> like it's a bit I don't know. It's different. It's weird. And I sort of, I bet I would have felt similarly to that about him writing a sort of semi quasi misogynistic character experiencing like his wife's feminist nagging, you know, quote unquote. It's like hearing a female character or even like hearing, knowing a female writer writing a mis- quasi misogynistic male characters in her monologue. Like, I have, like, if you, I have read that, you know, um, mm-hmm. in Naomi Alderman's The Power, right? Like, she has a few male narrators that, that sort of like ha- their inner monologue you can tell it's sort of through that, like, I'm trying to be understanding, but I just, my privilege is a blinder. Mm-hmm. It just comes off different when it's, you know, the writer is speaking from an in-depth, in-depth knowledge of, like, this experience or yeah. from their own inside joke with this thing. I think and it, with his, it's just like, ugh. I think it definitely comes off different. I have... I want to just add, like, I, I don't know, for me personally, I don't know that much about Stephen King outside of his actual works and the movies and stuff like that. Um, and I have, apart from this, I've only ever read one of a book and it was another short, short story collection. So I can't speak to understanding or having a vast knowledge of Stephen King's, like, like usual narrator's voice or like whether this is something that like crops up all the time like I don't know that I do believe that men can write character like male characters that are problematic in a sexist way without being innate like I think I think everybody's got you know uh, I think everybody's a little bit sexist because you can't help it we all have like ingrained stuff but um but I think that like it doesn't it was annoying um and i definitely think that the author comes into play so that's not to say that people can't read this and criticize and be like i don't like stephen king writing this perspective like you can still have that opinion but for me until i read more or see something else that validates it in a way i don't know if like because i do believe that a bloke can write a bloke another bloke who's clearly a, a bit misogynistic you know what i mean I just think you have to be very careful about it. It'd be like me writing a character, a white character that is struggling with like white guilt or white fragility or some like um, internalized racism. Like I don't know. I feel I feel like you have to be well researched and your writing has to come across in a way that's like the character is not self-aware, but the writing is self-aware. Yes, that's my point. Like, I haven't finished this last story, so I don't know if that is important yet. I don't know if that's, like, an important part of this character's arc. Like, it was just thrown in a little bit, and I don't know whether that's to make him more realistic, because he's, like, this middle-aged man who has, like... And he, like, uh, that that's the only time he's really problematic. Like, where he has this eye roll, we always have this argument moment with his wife. Um, but other than that, there's not, like, an issue, really. It was just sort of an eye roll moment for me. But I, I don't think... It didn't come across as a commentary, in a way, like, really. And I don't know if it's relevant yet. Because it's like, I don't know. I If you're writing a fantasy or a horror or something, I think you there's a little bit more leeway like I it's it's a really difficult thing to navigate because I don't think that like it's really a great idea like I for example I wouldn't write a main character who's a person of color because that's not my experience and I wouldn't do it justice you know what I mean like I wouldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't do that but I might have a character um for the purpose of my plot who is maybe like a racist white person but not because I'm right. Like he would, probably wouldn't be my main character because if I wanted people to like my main character, I wouldn't want them to be a racist git. But like I, I 
like I think you can write a character who is racist for the purpose of being an antagonist or having a conversation in the book if you know what I mean and that doesn't even if you're trying to write like a more relatable or somewhat unlikable narrator like I I, I, I'll even allow that. I just think you have to, the writing has to come across a certain mm-hmm. way where it doesn't sound, you're, the reader's not questioning the writer's agreement with, or like displacement onto the, onto the narrator's thoughts. Like there's certain yeah. parts, there's certain times in a text where I think where, you know, you can say, you have very obvious, like, this is the character's thoughts. This is not the writer trying to, like, weave in their perspective through th- through this fiction s- fictional story. And then there's other times where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what the writer thinks. Um, or you know, that's the way the writer is, you know? And I know that that's, like, an analysis no-no, because you're supposed to look at all fiction as, like... Or yeah, you're supposed to but... analyze fiction separate to the writer. But we have to have an awareness of, like, the voice it's coming from, I think. And I'm not a big fan of the people. I had a conversation with a friend not too long ago who is not a literature person. Like, <laughs> that sounds really, like, pretentious. But what I mean is, like, they read a lot. They're really well read and they love books and stuff, but they didn't study it. And they like they're more into like philosophy and all that other stuff, and so they think a little bit differently to how I do and how I approach literature. Being someone who studied it um, basically all my academic life, um, and still, um, and I remember they turned to me and they said, "Yeah, but that's like because we were talking about authorial intention and like author and the the, the work together and looking at both to have an idea of stuff." they they said something about how yeah but in literature that's what you have to do you have to separate the author and the writing and it really bugged me because I was like you get told that at like high school level which might be where they're getting it from you know I mean like you get told that kind of thing like analyze this don't talk about the writer you're not friends with the writer you don't know what they meant or wanted or whatever but that's at like a high school level when you're writing like an essay like a shorter essay that's less in depth about what you've read and you've been told beforehand all of the themes and everything you should talk about you know what I mean and like when you get to a university level and you start like actually talking to people whose jobs surround this stuff but I don't think I've met anyone who does that a hundred percent you know what I mean like you can obviously write an essay or do an analysis on the writing alone or the authorial intention alone like you can do that of course you can but like when it gets to like dissertation level of authorial intention comes into it naturally you do your a separate analysis of what this could mean in the text and then maybe to back up why you think that you can refer to a personal letter from the author and say maybe this is what they intended based on this other thing that backs up my interpretation you know what I mean like I don't right they're not separate it's somebody wrote this and it came from their brain and their prejudices and their ideas about the world like well and I think my biggest thing is like there is such a thing as analyzing something too much so yeah through you know your interpretation or your like knowledge of the author yes like you 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 do have to look at the text point blank and the evidence it gives there's merit to that I just think sometimes you can do both like the Mm -hmm. art doesn't have to be completely separate yeah to the artist it can also be a union of both like the art itself analyze then the analysis of that and the analysis of it through your knowledge of who the person who wrote it is yeah I mean I I 100% like agree but that's my point like that's what I think the reason that it bugged me was that I was like my point wasn't that you always have to look at authorial intention like that's a necessary part of it that's not what I mean but like when you get to a certain point of like looking into the subject 
you can find entire papers and books written about how much you should include authorial intention and the author's like real life when it comes to analyzing like that's within literature and every everything that you study within it that's an individual study that people dedicate time to on how much should we pay attention to the author's you know what I mean? Like, I think it just bugged me because it was like somebody telling me this thing, like, you can't think about the author, that's not relevant. I think it's because I was criticising something and saying, like, I avoid this because the person behind it is not someone I want to, like, read or talk about or something like that. I think that was the, like, I was saying, like, I'm not a big fan, I avoid that work. Um, and they were like, well, you have to separate it. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> like, because I think it's within your own discretion to do so. You know what I mean? Like, I, I still watch Kill Bill, but I don't particularly like Quentin Tarantino and, like, Harvey Weinstein had did production on it, and I think he's crap. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, I still like that as art, but I stay away from the people, and that is a warring thing. And the people who have boycotted those movies, I think that's fine too you know what I mean mm, so it's, it's yeah it's completely up to your discretion and how you feel it affects you and your own opinion on that um and so like I guess the only thing that I'm saying is that it just bugs me that people say you have to separate it or you have to have it together it's like no it like depends on like what it's saying and how important it is to take into account the person who wrote it like it's it's like you, I, I don't know if I can read like Mein Kampf without thinking about the fact that Hitler wrote that and I don't like Hitler. You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, I'm not going to like it anyway, even if I do take Hitler out of the equation. But the point is like, there are things you read and know that you should be careful reading them because the person who wrote them is not good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I I mean, and then bringing it back to, to, the, to the book this month, I mm. think... I think when I talk about um, how palpable Stephen King's literary voice was, I think I think that's what it came down to is, you know, sometimes there were character moments, inner monologues, narration, where certain ideas were presented that made me uncomfortable and the line was not clear whether or not it was like, a reflection he had on his own life or or something this came up too when we were when we were talking about midnight sun because i think mm. stephanie meyer is awful about projecting all of her ideas and her de- her demeanor and her like perspective uh mm. on on all of her characters i think uh i think to hammer it home like the the ending the thing that like drove the nail into the coffin with me not finishing was the reiteration of the descriptor poopy um (laughs) (laughs) through but she's supposed to be not want to swear like all the other ones do swear i couldn't i couldn't (laughs) i was like i i was like i just (laughs) it was i just yeah um so yeah you so, know um two stars to if it bleeds um two that's that's generous. my that's my rage that's I mean, my rating yeah two stars for me too um but i will say before we finish because like time's nearly up and at the beginning of this we were like are we going to be able to talk for longer um on the subject of those things you just said about wondering whether certain motifs that crop up are like a sign of the writer's mindset for the ones that you've mentioned I agree with you but they weren't glaringly obvious to me when as I was reading and now you've pointed Mm -hmm. them out I agree the one thing that was glaringly obvious to me as I was reading you haven't mentioned and that baffles me in every single one of these stories at random the main character will be watching something or looking around and will see a fat person 
and will comment oh, on it. No, I do have a quote. I do yes. have a quote. Every single one of these main characters sees a fat person it's and describes them, which is which yeah. is hundred percent fine in general because it's like fat people exist and there should be fat people in the world that your your characters are in, and some of them probably should be fat people and all of that stuff. So like mentioning that they're fat wasn't the problem, but having every single main character say something about how they could lose a few pounds or they shouldn't be eating that or like they need to watch their waistline and stuff like that or or like making really scathing remarks in their inner monologue but like it didn't need to be there it was like in the in the in the um if it bleeds one and she's watching a news report about a school that's been blown up and there is a mother who thinks who is looking for her children who were inside this building and she's distraught because she doesn't know if they're alive or dead and the main character takes the time to point out how fat she is and how wrong that is and it's like this woman thinks her children are dead like is that not only and also, it's, it's irrelevant. Shut up. <laughs> like, it's not only her body that she criticizes. She also, like, talks about how ugly she looks. Like, she just rolled out of bed. And I'm like, are you really? Are you really going to rush to the analysis? school? <laughs> like, um, the, the one that I highlighted was um, uh, in If It Bleeds. And it was Mr. Toomey should be watching his own figure. He's digging his grave with his fork and spoon. But it isn't her place to tell him that. That was like, that was the one that I was like, I just gotta, I just gotta pull this one out. Every single um, one. Like, I think in, like, that's the thing. So like, like the ones you mentioned about um some of the things that were clumsily done about race and like gender and stuff. I agree with you, but they happened on like one occasion, one or two occasions in particular stories. And it was a bit like, oh, that was a bit clumsy and that's interesting. But the, the fat phobic stuff happened in every single story every single main character had something to say at some point about a person who was bigger than them and it was like okay like great thank you for for that that was irrelevant um like because I don't know it just felt unnecessary (laughs) and it was unnecessary unnecessary yeah and I think I think I think the reason why I must I probably forgot to bring it up even though I did highlight some like some stuff that was is because it doesn't shock me to see it presented as a just a normal disposition and a and a reality because that's the way that most people feel yeah. I still I feel like um body discrimination and fat phobia for sure is like sort of the um, the way that like um, that gender stuff and gender identity was sort of like the new frontier. I couldn't give you a year range, but sort of it still is in many ways. But sort of over the last few years um, with with different um, like public figures coming out as trans, gender identity has been sort of like the new frontier in terms of people learning how to be um not offensive or not discriminatory in that way body size is definitely a very uncharted territory for most people I think most people just think it's normal to think really terrible fat phobic things um which is why I was not surprised when I saw it bleed into this writing um especially from somebody that's an older man yeah Um, I didn't like the thing that hit me with it is like like the conversation we've just had about how far can you comment on an author from the things that we've mentioned with the gender and the race thing like they're clumsy and they're a bit messy and you can have an opinion that shouldn't have written that but it doesn't paint a picture of oh he's a racist sexist dude you know what I mean like there's not enough there to paint that picture it's just like maybe you're not the person who should be trying to give this version of events you know what I mean or something like that um but with and I don't know enough to know like other people who've read more Stephen King can tell me whether I'm right or wrong about that but like with this one because it cropped up in every single narration it was like it, it like I was expecting it by the last one I was expecting it to be said at some point and that bugs me because a like 
it might it, obviously the big one it, it might just be Stephen King being like oh yeah fat people they suck you know and that's not good but also if it happened once I could probably give the benefit of the doubt or the sort of thing of like oh this particular character has this hang up like and if it bleeds she it, they they drop that she used to have an eating disorder um so if it had just been her out of all of them that had thought something like that I might be like oh that adds up because of her relation with eating um but every single character had it so it became like a thing that was like oh so like you can you can be realistic and be like well a lot of people have these thoughts so that's a realistic narration or like thought process to have in that moment but not every single person ever is going to have it that way and you sh- it, it ends up being a promotion of that thinking so it's like unnecessary like I didn't care either like great you know that person's fat it's irrelevant like to what's going on it's a good descriptor of just oh this makes it more real and you can see it in your head this there's like a person who is a bigger person on my telly and that's all it needed to be said it didn't need to be like and I hate them for it (laughs) like it's like that but it always was yeah it was always like the the main character had to say something about how it was unfavorable mm-hmm. like they had to put their thoughts about the size as well as the size itself it mean and i didn't like it yeah it it sucked um but yeah. yeah uh stephen king if it bleeds uh we weren't a fan no. and you know what i'm i'm really sad that our halloween book wasn't more enjoyable because i i was gonna do a whole thing you guys i was gonna like be all spooky in the intro and like <laughs> lead you in because i was like oh we're reading a horror book and now we just lost it all because the book sucked bro um, like honestly if we were villains would have been a better pick for this month like oh god we should have just re- we should have just reread if we were villains <laughs> uh, i wish i um, don't yeah we, um, i feel bad like i don't celebrate halloween but i feel bad because we should have provided people with the spooks like we should have like yeah next year you guys <laughs> yeah we'll go for a stay with one. us we'll avoid King. stay with us <laughs> So next month, uh, November's book, we're going to be covering uh, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue um, by V.E. Schwab. I'm so excited that we're covering a a book by V.E. Schwab. Uh I absolutely love her. I'm so um, excited that you, like, because we we both came up with a suggestion, but it was my suggestion, and I'm so glad that you were like, no, I want to do that one, because it was good for my ego. (laughs) We so so rarely, like, pick out the same books we want to read. yeah. We gravitate towards very different spheres. We, every once in a while, we have we have like a common interest, like in the books, Twilight but... one. But then we were upset with that one. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, November's book, um, the Invisible Life of Addie Larue. Yeah, um, tune in for that, and um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Sorry if it was a bit of a downer. Yeah. Um, um, and you can find us uh, Galleyproof Pod on Instagram and Twitter and galleyproof.tumblr.com yeah um we'll probably continue this whole polling next month's um next month's pick thing so mm-hmm. um if you are listening i know there's still very few of you at this juncture but the people who do listen we appreciate you so much mm-hmm. and um you know you're validating that i'm an interesting person <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah, um, so please do vote if uh, on Instagram, and we'll have to find out a way to put up the poll on our other um, other our other social media yeah. too, so that we can we can get, get maximum involved. maximum commentary. So so yeah, please do vote, and um, and thank you for tuning into this episode, and we will um, be back next month.